0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus himself is our heavenly bridegroom. From heaven he came and sought the church to be his holy bride, and he bought her with his own blood. Having died for her, he cleanses all her members by the washing of water with the word. His members are baptized into his name, into his death and resurrection, and now his church waits for his return. Every other promise of Jesus in the scriptures has been fulfilled, except this one. Every event in the creed has happened, except this one. Now the church waits for his return. And so this is what our parable is about, waiting for Jesus. So these ten virgins are all those in the church on earth. You are among them, these wise and foolish virgins. In holy baptism, they have been cleansed of every sin. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Therefore, they are virgins. And together they gather to await the return of the bridegroom. All ten virgins have heard the gospel before, perhaps hundreds or thousands of times. They know that Jesus promises them the forgiveness of all their sins. And they also know his promise that he will one day return. Now sometimes in their lives they were more or or less aware of that fact. But they all know it. And now all ten have gone out to meet the bridegroom. But he delays. He doesn't return while the apostles live on earth. He doesn't return in the next generation or even in the 10 that follow. He doesn't return when doomsday prophets say that he will. And by the way, when one tells you that they know when Jesus is returning, you can mark and avoid that one as a false prophet. For nearly 2,000 years, Jesus has been not returning. He has an unbroken track record of not coming back. So if you are a betting sort of a person, you might look at that history. You might notice that no matter how many times that promise is made, day after day, the promise remains unfulfilled. In fact, every other time you heard the promise that Jesus would return soon, every other time, you found out that you had more time. Last year, when you heard these texts, it wasn't your last. And there was still more time, more time to repent, more time to come back to church, more time to establish better priorities. Of course, even as you saw that you had more time, It's not as though you didn't believe in Jesus. You did. You came to church, at least most of the time. You brought your kids to be baptized, and you knelt at this altar for the Lord's Supper. You heard the Lord's absolution, and you believed it. You confessed all of God's saving actions in the creed. But when it came to the promise that Jesus' return was coming soon you found it harder to believe you do believe and confess that jesus will return but living every day thinking that jesus could return at any moment could be kind of exhausting and you know that this thought does not occupy your mind in the way that it should This seems to be how these foolish virgins think. Remember that the foolish virgins are also in church. They sit in these pews, they sing the same hymns, they confess the same creed, they eat and drink the same body and blood of Jesus. But when it comes to the return of Jesus, they always think they have more time and as we have heard thus far in their lives the foolish ones have been right so they believe that when the cry goes out there will be another opportunity sometimes they take the call seriously like when something bad happens or i suppose if nothing else important is happening on sunday morning then they can come to god's house and and hear his promises And perhaps you even find yourself feeling like this a little at times. And those whom Peter described in last Sunday's epistle sound almost reasonable. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words they have looked at the bridegroom's delay, and it has taught them that they can wait. It's not important enough to merit their attention. But those who speak this way, Peter says, are scoffers, or in the language of today's text, fools. Now, like the sheep and the goats from last week, the virgins are divided. Some are wise and some are foolish. By this, Jesus tells us that the difference between these virgins isn't the amount of oil that they have, but whether they have wisdom. The fools don't bring extra oil because they don't have wisdom. They haven't taken to heart the scripture that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, they lack faith. They do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things. For the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now you and I cannot see someone else's faith. can't really, in a way, even see our own. Only God can do that. But let us see what happens with these virgins, both wise and foolish. Consider how they behave and their end. All the virgins await the bridegroom. But their but the wait was long, longer than their lamps could burn, longer than they could remain awake. He delays. Actually, you should probably note that the translation in your bulletin is wrong. The text doesn't say that the bridegroom was delayed, but that he delays. It is his own action. It is, as we heard last Sunday, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, You see, the Lord himself delays because he wants his preaching to go out. He wants the whole world to hear the proclamation of his gospel, that he has shed his blood for every person, that all is ready, that there is still room even now. In other words, Jesus delays because of his love for fallen humanity, Jesus is giving, more, is giving more time to your loved ones and friends who don't know him. More time for them to hear his gospel because he loves them. He wants them in heaven with him and he will delay his return to give them every possible moment to repent. Now, there's different ways that one might take this text, and uh, perhaps you could understand death as sleep, uh, but I'm going to go a, a slightly different direction here. That I think something dangerous has happened to the virgins while the bridegroom delays, because while they're waiting, they all become sleepy and go to sleep. They didn't know what hour he would arrive, And they were unprepared and off guard. And so, in this way, even the wise are surprised. They fell asleep in the watch, they failed to keep the vigil. Understood this way, sleep then is a reference to sin. And so, all the virgins, including all the Christians, fell into sin. All have fallen prey to the seductive voice of temptation. You have given in to sin, and you have enjoyed it. You have failed to keep watch. You have been one of those sleeping virgins. That's why Paul warns in our epistle against drunkenness and spiritual sleep. He warns you against deadening your, sen- your senses and your conscience to God's word. He warns you against ignoring the reality of his imminent coming. Waiting is a dangerous business. Distraction, boredom, apathy, indifference, negligence, disdain. Because when that day comes like a thief in the night, those who falsely believed in peace and safety Will be unable to escape. The only thing punishable by death for the Roman sentry is falling asleep on duty or dereliction of duty, that is, running away. These are the things with which the Lord judges. And all those who fail against temptation are also judged. And even as the virgins slept, even as they were caught up in their sin, the bridegroom was still on his way. He was still coming to meet them. So what would he find them doing in their spiritual sleep? And what will he do to them when he arrives? And what about you? Perhaps right now you are spiritually sleepy. I don't know that any of you have actually fallen asleep, but spiritually, we are all sleepy. You are tempted, and you find the devil's temptation enticing. By his soft, sweet song, you are being lulled to sleep. Maybe you are tempted to think that you can sin now and worry about repenting later, Maybe you think a little sin is okay because you believe so highly in God's justification of the sinner that he will declare you righteous anyway. Maybe you think that one night of physical or or spiritual drunkenness is okay because you can just sleep it off in the morning. But these things are deadly, they are spiritual poison and they will kill you. Failing to watch for Christ can deaden your vigilance and open you to temptation. Sin has a way of multiplying and metastasizing. Thus, the whole congregation, all ten virgins, have fallen asleep. Suddenly, a cry, a shout in the middle of the night, Now I don't know about you, but being woken up by a cry generally isn't a pleasant experience. For me it usually involves some panic and confusion and perhaps lashing out at the one waking me up. My wife and kids can tell you that waking daddy up can be hazardous. But this cry is not just any shout. It is like Isaiah prophesied of John. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A voice crying in the wilderness, Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. It is a cry of joy. It's the cry they've been waiting their whole lives to hear. And all the virgins rise and trim their lamps. And it is at this cry that we begin to see how the wise wise and foolish virgins are different. For the cry came to them in the midst of this spiritual sleep. Even while they sin against the bridegroom, a shout breaks in. Jesus is coming. The bridegroom is on his way. So if falling asleep is falling into temptation, then waking up means to become aware of your sin. And so that's why, by the way, the wise have brought oil with them. The wise know the weakness of their own flesh. They bring God's holy word to be with them in the hour of their temptation. They expect temptation to come. They expect trials and hardship. They expect the devil to attack. So when they are awakened from their sin, when they, as we sang earlier, rise from their gloom, they rise and refill their lamps with oil, they have become aware of their sin And they look to their bridegroom to forgive their sin. This also teaches us about the nature of faith. That their faith is not yet dead. Somehow they still have oil. Somehow they hadn't completely forgotten why it was they were waiting in the first place. Those with oil have faith. They have the Holy Spirit They have repentance. They have wisdom. Thus, we see what faith is. Faith isn't an outward appearance of good works. Looking like a virgin doesn't mean that you have faith. Nor is faith found in keeping the law. Faith is God's gift. You don't manufacture it in your own heart. It's God's gift to you so also the oil. The wise take oil with them because they rely on God's gifts and promises and bring them with them. To have faith, then, is to be grounded in the wisdom that you are always waiting, that the life you live now will end at a day unknown to you, and he who bought you with his life will return. Now, we also see this played out in what the foolish virgins do when they have been brought to see their sin. Somehow, in the long wait, their oil had become consumed, and they expect to solve the problem of their lack of oil themselves. They think they can get worthiness from the wise and that it can be shared. But God's justification of the sinner is non-transferable. Nor can they be saved simply because of their proximity to the wise, simply because they are with the wise. Being on the membership roll of the congregation isn't going to get them in either. The foolish virgins must have their own light. They must see for themselves. But as yet, they do not see fully. They don't really believe Jesus' word. Even at the end, they bang on the door and demand that Jesus follow their instruction. Because they do not believe in a Jesus who would shut them out. But it's not yet the end. Even at the voice that cries, the bridegroom comes. His coming is still not yet. So the wise speak of the wisdom that they know. They direct the foolish to go to the market and get oil. That is, after all, where the wise had gotten their oil. The church fathers regarded the purveyors of oil as the apostles and the prophets. This is where the wise had received their oil in the proclamation of the word and the reception of the holy sacraments. In other words, the wise told the fools that if they would have light for the arrival of the bridegroom, they must go to the holy Christian church. And this also shows why the foolish had brought no oil with them. They weren't following the apostolic tradition of the word and sacraments. Without that word without faith in that word, then the oil and light of faithful Christians cannot help you. Each one must believe for himself. So the error of the foolish virgins wasn't that they were away when the bridegroom came. It was that they thought they could get away with just a little bit of oil, just a little bit of God's word, a little bit of his gifts. Their error was that they had decided too late to take the matters of faith seriously. Now when the bridegroom finally comes, there is no time for deathbed repentance. He will not accept their lack of preparedness, and they only hear his voice coming to them from, outside, or from inside the shut door because he doesn't know them. If Jesus isn't coming back, then you don't need to watch. You don't need to take things seriously. You don't need to be aware of these spiritual realities. But if Jesus is coming back, then it's time to heed his warning. So then what about you gathered here? Where are you in this parable And in what what part of the story is the church today? We could say in a way that we are at the time when the wise and foolish are gathered together to wait for the bridegroom. We could also say that we are at the time of the midnight cry. And do do you not hear the voice crying to awaken you from your spiritual slumber? Can you not hear the distant triumph song? It's not as far away as it once was. It's nearer now than when you first believed. Time grows ever shorter. For you do not know how much longer you have until your bridegroom returns. Jesus doesn't want you to join the foolish virgins and to suffer as they do. So straighten up and raise your head, because your redemption is drawing nigh. For now there is still an abundance of oil, and more than enough for all. Our world right now is plagued by supply chain shortages, but there is no shortage of this oil. And the bridegroom's return has not yet come. For even now, he is present on altars throughout the world as he gives his body and blood. He is still calling and still inviting everyone to his feast. Though midnight may be fast approaching, there is still time. There is still room. And even now, as we wait, we watch our doctrine and contend for the truth of God's word. For he alone is and gives us true wisdom. So we strive to remain faithful to his wisdom, the wisdom of repentance and faith, the wisdom that says salvation is found in Christ alone and in his sacrifice for us sinners. And although you may have fallen asleep and been less than faithful in your watching, Jesus loves you and has died for you And he bids you to join him in his feast. So come again and receive these gifts of your Lord. The journey is too much for you. Come and receive the foretaste of the feast to come. Kneel here in faith and receive your bridegroom as he comes to you even now. His body placed into your body, his blood flowing in your veins by this food he prepares you for his coming again in glory so fill your lamps in this place take courage weary soul look forward to the joy that awaits you he has promised and he is faithful and while you wait he remains awake and prepares you for his coming then by his coming even now Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.